many of you have listened to the Front End Happy Hour podcast? Great. So some of the familiar listeners, great to see. What we do is we talk about front end while drinking. So a series of topics and we all sit around and have drinks. That's what we're going to do on stage. Today what we decided for Reactathon, we obviously want to talk about Angular, right? That, that makes sense. No, we're obviously talking about React. Figured we'd talk about React at scale. Before we get started, I'd like to go around and give introductions of today's panelists. Jem, you want to give an introduction? Hi, Jem Young. I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix. I'm Stacey London. I'm a front-end engineer at Atlassian working on Bitbucket Cloud. I'm Derek Showers. I am a senior software engineer at LinkedIn. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the podcast, we actually choose a keyword that if, if it's mentioned at all in the podcast, we will all take a drink. So on stage, we're going to do the same thing. And actually, Ben's going to even play a little bit of a noise for us if we get... So he's going to keep us honest. So uh, if we hear that, we definitely have to drink. <laughs> so what did we decide today's keyword is? Structure. All right. So if, if you hear the word structure and that ding, we are all drinking. <laughs> all right. So let's get started. Uh, I'm interested to know, before we even get into React, what does scale mean? I mean, I, for me, it's, I guess it's a lot of things, right? From a people perspective, scale to me really just means like there's more than one dev working on the app. At that point, you're immediately scaling. You're immediately having to think of somebody else working on your code, and and that always has implications. Yeah, I agree. I think it's beyond. I think it's more than just uh, the amount of users and traffic we were talking earlier, and uh, that's I think maybe the go-to thought when you think of scale. But yeah, definitely about like organizing your your code base, working with other people. Um, there's definitely a lot a lot of uh, levels. Yeah, and when you think of actually lots of traffic going to applications, website, on the front end, that's really not impacting us too much. Yes, you want to build performant code that scales, but that's a little bit different. It's not necessarily adding more traffic to the site or application. And if it is traffic, it's in terms of the reach of users, like the, the breadth. So people can be on really low-end devices, people can be on very high-end devices. I think when we think about scale, we don't always think about our user base is like broadening. So they're not all going to be running Chrome. They're not all going to be on the fastest computer. So we have to take that into consideration when we build our apps. Great. So when you're approaching your React app, brand new app or an old existing app, how do you approach it from thinking of scale in mind? That's a hard question. <laughs> you don't have an answer for this? <laughs> I, I think naively we go in, we create apps, and we think, oh, yeah, I'll just build this structure because it makes sense to me. But Cheers. <laughs> ben was even slow on that one. We don't think how it scales to five developers or a hundred developers or a thousand. And when you use weird paradigms like, oh, Derek and Stacy, they know exactly what I did because I used some weird convention. But the other 500 people that need to start don't. And we, we don't think about that when we start our apps. So I like to start and think like, what's the simplest, most intuitive structure Cheers. that I can think of? <laughs> Be a long day. One that would make sense intuitively to most engineers. I think that's a good foundation for starting an app. I mean, I think thinking upfront about the patterns that you want to use and the I'm trying to avoid the word structure of your of your folders. Cheers. Trying to avoid the word. <laughs> so, like for scaling, if if you start to have a ton of components and a lot of different files, if you have a folder structure that's like highly nested or something like that. Cheers. Sorry. So sorry. It can get very hard to manage and, and become very problematic later on, and it gets more difficult to develop. 
So some of those things, I think, are things that you have to think about kind of up front. Yeah, and I guess the one thing I'd add to is I think it's okay to make changes as you go to and as you scale. Um, I think sometimes, uh, at least in my experience, you know, you start one way and you're like, okay, this is the way that is the most scalable um, when you start. And then, you know, a couple of months down the road, it doesn't end up being very scalable, but you're like, this is, we're kind of already down this path, but it's better to, to change direction than over-engineer. Yeah. I, I think that's hard. One, one of the hardest things I can say as an engineer was I was wrong. Uh, I think a lot of people are in that camp, whether they admit it or not. And it's hard to get six months in and realize, oh, the, the architecture that I built isn't right and it doesn't make sense anymore. And very few people do. We just keep going. We refactor, we pay that debt, we pay that debt. But a really good engineer will be like, hey, there's actually something new and I, my bad and I'm going to help fix it. But here's what's going on. You, you just don't see that that often. Well, because it's hard. You're probably having being pushed by managers, you know, product managers, whatever it is that you're working with to build features. And there's usually not the time to do that, but you end up paying the cost down the road. So it's like whatever you can find the time to do that. I, th I think that's always important. I think you, a few of you touched on this point too, is adding new people to the team. I always think that is like the one time where I'm like really, really wanting to make sure that the code base is in a good spot so that it's easy for someone to ramp up on it. Um, and, and that's not always easy if you are using weird paradigms that uh, some crazy architecture that, yeah, Stacy and Jem wrote that I have no idea. I have to learn that. But if it's using some library that's already, you know, pretty familiar out there, it's well documented, using something like Redux or Flux, it's like something like that being in your code base, it, maybe they've already used that or experienced that and that can be very useful. Yeah, like don't reinvent the wheel, like don't write Redux, your own flavor of it from scratch, like maybe just use that because it's got more mind share and it's easier and more supportable and all the, the words. Exactly. You don't even have to write the documentation. It's already done for you. I, I've seen some, this is early days of React. Uh, I couldn't even tell you what version, but it was three, four years ago. And the developer who I was working with had made like deep hooks into, you know, the part of React code where it's like, don't touch this, this is a private API. Did that anyways, because he's like, oh, and he built out like this entire application based on some core Redux or uh, React functions, and then of course the API changed, and we were screwed because we couldn't upgrade because it was just too costly to uh, to like refactor all this code. So again, th this person like wasn't thinking ahead about scaling across four, five, ten engineers. They made a choice because it was easy in the, in the beginning, but now they're still paying that cost. I love it too. It's not even just like other engineers jumping in. It's also version. Now they've kind of reached into something that may not even exist anymore. So that can be problematic too. And I guess what I was what I was trying to get at too is the sooner you can make that decision and realize that maybe you went the wrong direction, the better. I mean, maybe after two years down down the path of one direction, it is a lot harder and a lot more expensive and. Uh, and there's a lot more people invested in it than just you. But, you know, even if it's like a, a couple of weeks, I think it's, it could be still as hard, it's still as hard, right? Because it's still like, you know, maybe you, maybe you spent months fighting for this one direction, but now you realize that it's not the right directions. So we've already started touching on these, but what are some challenges that you've seen? I mean, Jem, you just mentioned one, one pretty big challenge, but what are some challenges that you've seen going into a code base or just even in your own structure? Cheers. <laughs> where you've regretted it or looked back and said, oh, wait, I should have fixed that or thought about that ahead of time. This is a really controversial thing, I always say, but everybody should comment their code more. And I know there's people right now thinking, oh, my code's self-documenting because I write excellent code. You don't. Uh, I, I've, I've come into code bases where 
the people were, it's a like really small startup. It was a tight knit. They all understood each other. And then I come in saying like, what's going on? None of this is documented. Oh, that's okay. Cause like it's this and this and this. I'm like, okay. But of course, explaining to one person how your code base work does not scale. So if you don't document your code, you're in for a bad time. And that's something I've run into a lot at many different companies. Just people assume one paradigm and they assume everybody used that same paradigm. That's not true. Even in React, which is fairly straightforward, people use different paradigms that may or may not make sense. So I will I'll test. Jem does actually write really good comments in his code. Like Thank you. Really good. So it helps. One thing, um, I guess, kind of recently um, is testing and, and, and um, you know we try to be as good as try to be as good as testing as possible but um, recently was working on a, an app that was just a prototype and I think sometimes you fall victim and you're in this like prototype stage you're not going to write as many or any maybe <laughs> um, um, you know acceptance tests or whatever but then you know there's th that prototype often will become um, not a prototype anymore and then you're stuck and, and then it's really hard to get back into that so I think that's really important to do from the beginning. So you think like writing unit tests, everything should be done from the from the get go. Yeah, I think that makes it a lot easier. I mean, there's always exceptions. I know things get crazy in the day to day, but uh, I think whenever you can try to do that, that's the best. I think on those lines. I mean, it's not specific to React, but if you have good linting, good uh, put all the automation you can in there, so that when you scale the people on your team, you don't have to have like silly arguments over style, that's a, that's style a really good point. Um, and stuff. So like get, you know, put prettier in there or have, you know, style lint and all the, all the linting you can have just to, to avoid those conversations over and over and over. Let the CLI yell at the people. You don't have to yell at them. I'll say plus one or prettier. Um, this was maybe last month at Netflix. Someone said, Hey, we should standardize our file naming conventions. Which, of course, yeah, it makes sense. You want them all to be the same. No, there is a big debate over camel case versus snake case versus I don't even know the other case. But it, it is easier when you use a tool and you just say, like, hey, we're going to use Prettier. We're going to use this format. And it just does it for you. That just cuts out a lot of just extraneous conversations. So I want to touch on the unit base, like unit tests and everything, especially in React. It is Are we writing unit tests for the components? Are you thinking more for helper functions? Or is it like both? When you're writing, you know, when you're writing your components early on, how are you thinking about that? All of you, but I know Derek meant. Yeah, but I haven't written a lot of React, so. Well, there you go. <laughs> Jem, you're a big unit test guy. What do you think? Uh, I write unit tests for server-side things, like, because they're self-encapsulated functions that they should do one thing and one thing only. So it's easy unit test. Uh, for components, I break it down to the base component and then write, I use Enzyme for component-based testing. And that usually gets us most of the way, and then we have end-to-end -end tests that kind of cover the whole suite. Yeah, or if you want to just like very low bar to entry snapshot tests with Jess, like if you don't want to put a ton of effort into it, there's at least some level of, of verification. Yeah, so also, what approaches have you found helpful, I'm gonna say it, structuring your React apps? <laughs> Cheers. This is a hard one. Knowing when to componentize something is a really hard debate. Like, just hands up if you've seen a talk about UI components at any conference. Every conference. Yeah, everybody has. Everybody's seen a talk on how to build UI components, why they're good, we should be doing it. But no one really talks about when we should do it because there's a cost to doing that, like extracting the CSS and the JS and everything else. There's a cost to doing that. I So I think ahead of time, it's good to set up rules to say, like, if this component is used, it's, this functionality is used in, say, three places, we should probably pull to its own component. 
And if you have a firm rule like that, then you don't end up with like component explosion, which I've also seen too. Um, I think, I mean, it's not a good example because it's Facebook, but I think they said somewhere they have like 40,000 components or something like that, which, I mean, it's Facebook, but still, I like, I, I don't want to be in that, oh, I have a button. No, we have a component for red button. Don't worry about that. Like, that's, that's too far. So I, I think thinking about that and thinking about scaling uh, across multiple engineers is something that when I first go into the application, that's what I'm thinking about. I like that you said rules around that too, because I, I have been in code bases where it's like componentize everything and it, it gets really, really hard to understand what's even going on at that point. You're digging in files on files and files and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, like you said, one red button and you're like, okay, well, could that just be a button in general and have multiple colors or shapes and everything and, and you know, control that. Uh, but so I, I like that you said that too, is like there is a point where it's too much componentized. I mean, for me too, I, one thing I always struggle with, um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts too, is when do you start using something like Redux, especially in your React application, I find I kick myself down the road later, I sh like, oh, I should have just used it. But I start out, I'm like, oh, I only have a couple components here, I don't really need to introduce Redux. And then I'm like, yeah. Then it comes a couple more components, and then this component needs to talk to this component. And I'm like, okay, I should have added Redux. But I'm, I'm interested to know your, each of your thoughts on when to use something like Redux. I have an interesting experience because I don't, I, when I started to use React, it wasn't just using React, it was a massive stack of things. I came into something that like had already, they'd already picked a huge amount of that architecture. So um, I came in where Redux was already in place and so that was something that I had to use. Um, and so it made sense to me because the, the thing that I was working on had you know a lot of components on a page that did have to share state like uh like i work on bitbucket if you need to merge a pr you have a button where you click merge and the does some sort of asynchronous thing and, and then the result that comes back another component on the screen needs to do something based on that and to show like successful merge or maybe show an error dialogue or something like that and so like that immediately was seemed to me very um it, was an, it seemed like a nice implementation for the complicated app that i was using and building um, but I think obviously if you're not building something so complicated, maybe you only have like three components, like at that point, like, do you bring in Redux? How do you know if it's going to get more complicated and maybe it won't, and maybe that's overhead. I mean, I, I personally found Redux to be, um, a bit hard to get my head around. It actually was, I think the hardest thing of learning that entire stack, because there's a lot of boilerplate and a lot of code um, happening in, in lots of different places to get something that seemed kind of simple to happen. Um, so I think there's a learning cost to adding Redux to your code base. I, on my team, I was the holdout against Redux. Mm -hmm. I, but in all things, I prefer simplicity um, above anything else, like just keep it simple. And I, I argued that we didn't need Redux at the time because, and I was wrong, because uh, our app grew and the complexity grew. Um, but at the time, I was saying we don't need Redux. I think a lot of times engineers, we embrace complexity because we build this giant tower of things and then someone comes up like, hey, how did you build that? You're like, huh, dummy, like here, here's the docs. And then like you, you make people just feel not as intelligent because you chose to build this complicated thing. So people just, they say like, oh yeah, I want to get started in React, how do you do it? Well, uh, you just need to webpack and then uh, let's, let's throw in less 
Maybe some emotion, just flow. Let's throw in some flow, um, or even TypeScript. It, how about both? Why not both at the same time? So yeah, you need just. I, I like TypeScript, so yeah. you like flow. Let's try both. <laughs> yeah, let's throw in Redux, and if we're using Redux, let's use Immutable JS because that's important. Reselect. Like, oh yeah, reselect. Jeez. Uh, so like normalizer, these... <laughs> denormalizer. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> no, but like we. We don't think about like the complexity we're adding. Like even immutable JS, like that's a new paradigm for most JavaScript engineers. But just everybody jumps in because someone smart once said like you should use immutable without understanding why. And that is the conversation anytime someone adds a new library. I say, explain it to me why exactly I need this and I can't do this normally. And if they can't explain it, then don't add it in. And that's always been my my like bar for adding new libraries or state management or anything like that. Well, I actually appreciated Jem in this conversation because uh, I was actually one of the big believers in adding Redux in our code base. We adopted React at Netflix really, really early on. And man, we had different like Flux implementations and non-Flux and just so many crazy like paradigms that were going on because we were building it as the ecosystem of React was changing. And so there was like some pages built one way, some the other. And as we were building like more of a single page application, it actually made a lot of sense to leverage something like Redux. And we almost kind of went, what Stacy was saying is like, we almost created our own version at one point. And it really, really made sense to use something like Redux. And I remember debating this with Jem very much. And like we walked through different things and like now it sounds like you're a lot more open to it, which is good to hear. <laughs> One of the interesting things with Redux and scaling is early on, the decision was to make uh, everything goes in Redux, like all state, no matter what, no matter how small. So even if you have like uh, a UI state where a, a twisty, um, an expanded state and a collapsed state, um, and even that went into Redux. And, and the idea was like, well, then it's, you know, this absolute source of truth. You can um, play forwards and backwards. You can re reproduce, you know, issues, all that kind of thing. And then a uh, you know, different en engineer gets hired, has a different opinion about that, and they say, well, I don't think that should be there because that's, that's too, you know, not, what else needs to know about that? Nothing else needs to know about it. It's not really shared state. Take that out. It's not even this mixed bag of things. And so uh, a scaling issue with that is kind of fascinating is recently we were talking about error handling and like unhandled exceptions or throwing things up to some sort of tool that's capturing all your exceptions in your app. Well, if you don't have everything in one place, you are not able to necessarily um, send a current state snapshot to an exception handler um, to send that back up. So now you're troubleshooting. You can't use the play forward backwards um, feature of Redux anymore because it's not all there anymore. So it, it gets a little bit more difficult to debug something um, if you have a support issue come through. So I thought that was an interesting uh, twist uh, at, at the end of that. I like that too, is even just you've separated the concerns at that point too. That's something that we've done a lot where we've even, I mean, you can go far as like saying, I mean, Netflix loves microsystems. Well, guess what? It's We do. And even just like separating some of the business logic and having it centralized, the team that Gemini work on, it's a, we're building cross-platform. So even something like that, if you can build like really dumb UI components that aren't carrying a lot of business logic, yeah, you can do a lot where you're passing error states. Um, you can really just manage a lot of things and you don't have to write the business logic multiple times in the UI as well. And so that's been very useful. It's interesting. The one thing I wanted to just point out is uh, you mentioned about like uh, it, it, the right about the uh, app being hard and being in different states across different teams. And 
Uh, at LinkedIn, we are now fully on board and have been for the past couple of years with Ember. And uh, so one of the reasons we chose Ember is because it was it allowed us to solve that problem. Um, but I think the, the 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 point of this is that one thing that I think React really excels at, and uh, Ember is now trying to do with Glimmer, is is it scales both ways. Um, so you know there are obviously a lot of use cases where you want to scale the opposite direction and not have Redux or or whatever, like not have the whole package and just be able to have you know a, a small part of it. So like Glimmer is actually separating those concerns. Yeah, Glimmer is like a, the essentially the view layer of of Ember that they're trying to separate out. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, definitely the frameworks getting into like Angular, React, Ember. It's like we're, we're starting to see more of that, like similarities that are coming about, like we're learning from each other, which is great. And speaking of all the, the frameworks, like I have no beef with Ember. I mean, I, mean, I give Derek a hard time. Just me. <laughs> just you. Just you all the time. But uh, who was it at? Um, it was at, we were speaking at 4Jess and Alan Werfsbrock, so he's on TC39. He's kind of like OG JavaScript. He was saying that it's dumb that like people get in such heated debates about which one's better, Ember or React or Angular or Vue. And he's like, what's funny is the people that created these libraries aren't involved in these debates because they're like, they're all good solutions. But it's, it's all the people that use them that are like, no, you're wrong. This is better than this. Ember's dumb. Angular's dumb. React is the one true way. And like we're having this massive argument, but it really doesn't matter. It's just if you're aligned as a team, use whatever you want. Like, I, I love React, it's awesome, but I'm not so opinionated that if I went to a new company and they're using Ember, I'd be like, okay, that's cool. But as long as we're consistent. Come on. Maybe not Ember, but. <laughs> yeah, we got to bug Derek. <laughs> so what advice would you give people if they're starting a new application or, you know, just something to take away that we can help improve, like writing React for scale? Having better structure. Cheers. Cheers. The advice is the same as the advice we've been giving out on Front and Happy Hour for years now. Learn JavaScript. Uh, I say that because I interviewed someone just the other day, and they couldn't explain like event delegation and event bubbling to me because they just use React and that it does it all for them. And I worry there's just this new class of engineer coming into front end land, and they don't understand what's happening under the hood. So if build an application in JavaScript, and then as you need it, port it in React because that's what React's really good at. Just use it when you need it. And then from there, like build out your application if it's your first app. And then you understand exactly what React is good for and what it's not so good for. And from there, you become like a really solid engineer. But if you just jump in with create React app, you'll be spending days configuring Webpack, which I've spent doing, or Redux, or it, it doesn't. All those tools that are kind of superfluous to your end goal of just building a UI. Yeah, I'll echo that. I think, uh, yeah. I've interviewed people in the same vein of whether it be Angular or React, and that's that's what they know. And I've written so many different frameworks over the years that I'm like, yeah, I'm still just writing JavaScript, which is great. But yeah, React might not be the thing anymore. It's like we could totally ditch it a few years from now, and then it's like we have to learn something new anyway. So you don't want to be too holding to the, the framework. I think if you're just getting started and maybe you are new to React, but you want to make sure you're setting yourself up for scale, would be to, I guess, just read a lot of, read a lot of blog posts. There's lots of people that have a lot of opinions about structure and, uh, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> and the way that uh, things should, what patterns to use, um, and just use some of that to start with. Maybe come up with your own if you start to feel like those things don't meet your needs, but don't, I guess, try and, 
start off creating your own pattern. Like you'll you'll get there eventually, but you use use the mind share of of stand on stand on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think in general too. I mean, you know, it's good to read as much as you can and um, make sure that you're able to make the most informed decision that you can. But uh, obviously, there's a point where you just need to jump in, and you also going back to what I was saying earlier, and you just need to be okay with admitting that you were wrong. Um, you know, if that if it comes to that. So, but. I have a hard question for the the panel. When do you use React Native if we're talking about scale? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, you can write for two applications at once, which is a benefit. There's definitely trade-offs. Even for one thing that always worried me when we, we've kind of explored that at uh, Netflix is in the Angular, or sorry, in, um, I don't know why I said Angular, but uh, whatever. In Android, you're adding uh, actually a lot of weight to the uh, actual app size, um, roughly two to three megs, just by adding React Native to it. And, and that can be concerning. Like you're thinking about, especially in some of the Netflix being global, I'm thinking about, okay, you know, someone in India downloading this, they may not have the fastest connectivity. And so now that's adding to this, the, the download size. Yes, it's pretty small, but we haven't built anything. We just added a library. Uh, so that can be concerning. Um, I think there's also things as Apple and Google release new features, new OS, well, now you're also having to wait for React Native to catch up with those new features and APIs so that you can take advantage of it. There is benefits to it, though, as well, that you can, you don't, you're not just writing React Native, you could also be writing Objective-C, Swift, Kotlin, Java on the Android side. You, you can, you're not just writing React, so you, you can kind of get around that as well. But definitely interested in everyone else's thoughts. Yeah, I think, um, if, I mean, if it's very, if it's very um, animation graphic heavy, I mean, every time you have to, Jump across the, the the bridge or whatever they call it. It's it, you know it can and I think sometimes if you write React, maybe you don't always understand what's happening under the hood on the on on the native side and vice versa. Um, so you know I think if uh, you do understand it, then I think maybe you can probably write a pretty performant React Native app. But um, the thing I always thought was really interesting about React Native, and this wouldn't help with the binary size, but the um, what I think would would is a really good use case, and what Facebook does a lot is to use it in the place of what you would typically use a web view for. So, like a lot of times, a web view is just something that uh, you know, at least on a native app, you just want to throw up something quick for for um, you know all three uh, for for all your platforms. So, for instance, at LinkedIn, we do it for all of our settings because it's just kind of a uh, a chore to update settings across all three platforms that we support. So um, I think React Native is a really good use case for that. And I know like Facebook uses it for like their advertising manager and their I think even for their events page or their events portion of their flagship app. So um, I think that's a really good use case because then you still get the native experience. And it's not as um, it's not as bad as having to load and uh, deal with some of the performance issues of loading a web view. So will you ever change to a web view or from a web view to React Native? I mean, like, uh, yeah, I would love to, you know, parts of the app that are that are that have web views now. I think they should definitely be that would be, that would be awesome to do React Native. I like that use case. I think some of it is a people scale problem too. Like, if you have like a small number of people and they all know JavaScript, then it probably makes sense to use something where they could write it once and run it multiple places, as opposed to like your bigger company. Maybe you have more money, you can have like teams building out the native thing like your your android team your ios team so it was always a scale thing like i had done some cordova um hybrid apps uh, a few years back and it really was about money and business decision like we don't have the money to like spin up all these teams to do these different stacks 
I like that. And you could even, like, there are ways to even tie some of the web code into your React Native. Um, but even going back to Redux, you could leverage Redux to really manage a lot of the, the logic up top and really just build out components um, for the UI. Yes, iOS and Android are written a little bit different than the web, um, but you could actually leverage something like Redux across those three platforms. So there could be value there as well for scaling. And to your point, is also scaling for um, multiple engineers. And on the Redux, not to jump back to it, I, I still argue that if someone's saying, hey, we want to add Redux to our platform, they should give me a convincing reason why, because it still adds this layer of complexity that I think a lot of people don't necessarily need until you're at scale. And But they just throw it in there, and then I uh, we, we have a private uh, Slack group for just like front-end people. And I see a lot of questions about Redux, and people are like, just basic questions because they're using it for things that like just don't need Redux. So if you don't understand why, then don't use it. And that's I should make that a T-shirt. Would you Would you buy it? Anybody? No. Okay. One person. That's That's enough for me. Great. Well, I think we're running just just on on time here. We have five minutes. You know, where can people get in touch with you? I'd love to hear. You know, if you want to get in touch with you, Jem, where where can they find you? Uh, if it's a friendly email, uh, you can hit me up at gem at netflix.com. If you're just angry, you can just send me a tweet at gem young, at gem young. Uh, I prefer dog pictures. Just throwing that out there. I'm Stacy Londoner on Twitter. I'm Derek Showers on Twitter. I'm at Burgess D. Ryan on Twitter. I, I like the dog pictures, but you can also send me some tattoo photos if you have tattoos. Jem will send you stickers, so I'll do the same if I get some photos. So um, that would be a good oh, way to Bribes are coming yeah, out. Yeah, bribes are coming out. Well, thank you all for listening. If you're wanting to listen to us, uh, check out frontendhappyhour.com. We're on Twitter as well at frontendhh. Follow, you know, subscribe to us on whatever podcast catcher that you like to listen to and i want to thank uh, react reactathon for having us out here we really enjoyed being out here uh, it's been a great uh, conference so thank you so much and thanks for listening thank you thank you, thank you.